going to be uh, in Colossians 3. We're continuing. If you're new here, haven't been here in a while, we've been walking through the book of Colossians together, which was originally a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians. Uh, and so um, what we're doing is we're kind of walking through it verse by verse. Uh, the first two chapters of uh, Colossians, the Apostle Paul lays out a case uh, for the supremacy and the preeminence of Jesus. There's nothing and there's no one higher than Jesus. He is supreme over the universe, over all that has been created. He is in supreme authority over his church and over our lives. And, and so now what happens in the book of Colossians, especially starting in chapter three, is the apostle Paul begins to talk about if that's true, then here's what that means for our lives. For those of us who claim to be in Christ, Christ's followers, if he truly is supreme, then here's what that should look like in my daily life. Last week we looked in uh, Colossians uh, chapter uh, three, the first four verses, we looked at how the apostle Paul says, so since this is true and since you have been raised with Christ to walk in a new life, he then called us to set our mind's attention and our heart's affection on things that are above. And so we ask the question, what things is he talking about? Does he want us just daydreaming about heaven and angels and cloudy scenes? Or is there something specific that he means when he calls us to put our attention on things above? And we talked about how he was calling us to set our mind's attention and our heart's affection on the excellency of things above, things that are true, things that are honorable, things that are just, things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are commendable, things that are eternal, things that really matter. And so in doing so, in calling our attention off of the things of the earth, now the Apostle Paul is gonna talk about our relationship with the things in this world. And so in verse five is where we'll start today. Verse five, Colossians three. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, or on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So today what we're gonna be talking about is we're gonna talk about the death that leads to life. And on one hand, we're thinking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus, his death led to life and our faith in him, right, we know leads to our eternal life. But here he is calling Christians, people who are still alive, to put something to death. Now what's interesting is that this is the only thing, the only violent activity that Christians are called to in the scriptures. The only violent activity that Christians are called to is to put to death sin, to put to death the old version of ourselves, to put to death what is earthly in us. Now that's a pretty violent language, isn't it? That doesn't apply to our enemies. We're called to love our enemies and be generous with our enemies, right? But for sin and for what is earthly within us, the apostle Paul calls us to something violent. He says, put it to death. Now, as he calls us to this, we realize that he's obviously not talking about physical death because he's talking about those of us who are still physically alive. So what he's actually calling us to is a spiritual death. 
to put something to death that is within us, spiritually speaking. And he gives us a list of examples, earthly things like sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And he calls us to put these things to death. Now it is kind of a a paradox to think that death could lead to life, isn't it? I mean, that's a hallmark of the Christian faith, but outside of faith in Christ, right, to think about death is to think about the end and hopelessness and not good things. But in Christ, right, death is actually a, a portal into good things. And so to think about death leading to life is kind of an upside down way to think of the, li- the world and the life that we live, right? Because everything within us wants to say, let's put off death. Death is a bad thing. I don't wanna be close to death. I wanna be a long ways away from death. Yet in the gospel, we're told that death can actually lead to something good. And here, spiritually speaking, that is the case. This is true in the created world around us, bears evidence of this. Uh, just in the way that seasons change, think about how, uh, how trees transform in the wintertime and essentially look, what, dead. The grass dies, everything looks dead. And this happens every year, right? But we know in the middle of December that it's not gonna stay that way. Why? Because the season's gonna change, things are gonna warm up, and the trees are gonna come back to life. The grass is gonna come back to life. And you can just sense it in the air in the springtime, right, when things begin to come back to life. And every year, right, the seasons bear witness to this idea that death gives way to life. Uh, One of my favorite uh, Christian songwriters, uh, he, 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 um, he, he wrote an album that is centralized around this theme, and he talks a lot about gardening and how planting seeds is like that. When you take something that is dead like a seed and you push it into the earth and you wait on it, you're just hoping it will what? Come to life. And I've got a couple of, of his song lyrics here I want to read to you, and he compares gardening uh, to this idea, and he talks about how violent gardening really is. Now, we don't typically think of gardening as violent, right? But he talks about how, from the soil's perspective, gardening is extremely violent, right? Because why? You have to puncture the soil and rip it open. From the soil's perspective, right, you're just tearing it wide open, and you're taking these seeds, and you're pressing them into the earth, and when weeds come out, you rip them out, and how violent gardening can be and again he writes this album centered around this theme and one of his songs um, he's writing about his personal depression the song is entitled the rain keeps falling I don't know if you've ever felt that way like it just just keeps coming just keeps coming there's no relief and here is a a verse from that song and he talks about gardening this way he says my daughter and I put seeds in the dirt and every day now we've been watching the earth for a sign that this death will give way to a birth and the rain keeps falling. Down on the soil where the sorrow is laid and the secret of life is igniting the grave and I'm dying to live but I'm learning to wait and the rain is falling. He's talking about how we take a seed of suffering, it feels like death and we press it deep down into who we are and we wait knowing what by faith, that it will give birth to life. In another song called the Sower's Song, he writes, oh God, I am furrowed like the field. He's comparing his own heart to soil that's being ripped open. He says, I'm furrowed like the field, torn open like the dirt, and I know that to be healed, that I must be broken first. 
I am aching for the yield that you will harvest from this hurt. Just think about how that works, how suffering in our lives, just like the this, this soil being torn open, our hearts laid bare, and yet by faith we know that God takes our suffering and not only heals the suffering, but brings a harvest from it. He brings life from it. And so we know in faith that death leads to life for those who are in Christ. In Romans chapter eight, verse 13, the apostle Paul is writing about this same topic and he said, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So when he's talking about the deeds of the body or what is earthly, he's essentially talking about our sinful nature. Right, so what is good in us is wrapped up in this sin nature body that has untrusted, untrustable desires, evil desires, corrupt desires that are constantly trying to derail us from God's plan, God's will. And he says, if you live by those earthly desires, it'll lead to death. But if you'll put those earthly desires to death and be led by the spirit, it'll actually lead to life. I want to make a, just an acknowledgement here before we go on. See, he's talking to Christians here. So in the modern day church, we kind of have this misconception that the Christian life is a once and done kind of thing. I've asked Jesus into my heart. I confess that I am a sinner. I've asked for forgiveness. And so now I'm moving on. And we fail to realize that to be saved is essentially to be rescued into this lifelong process of being transformed. Day by day, moment by moment, being transformed into the image of Christ. And listen, it will never be fully done as long as you're still here on earth. I don't care if you're eight years old or 80 years old, you are still being transformed which they might cause us to ask the question, what happens if I die before I'm fully transformed? What will happen? Well, that's actually the point. You will never be fully transformed until you step out of this life and behold the glory of Jesus face to face. That's when it'll be done, right? That's when the good work that has begun in you will actually be finished is when you step out of this life through the portal of death and step into eternal life and behold the glory of Jesus face to face and then you'll be fully like him. That's when it'll be done. But between now and then, you're being transformed. Moment by moment, right? Suffering by suffering, glory by glory, you are being transformed. So with that in mind, that this is not a once and done thing, it's a process that I'm being ushered into, I wanna turn our attention now to um, the the words of John Owen, a, a, a famous writer. He wrote a book called The Mortification of Sin. And he's talking about this process of putting sin to death. And it's an old book. It's in, it's in old English. It's hard to read, but it's rich with truth centered around this idea of the mortification of sin. And one of the guiding principles for this book is this statement he makes when he says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And his point is, one of two things is happening Every moment of your life, either you are in the process of putting sin to death or it is in the process of trying to put you to death. There there is no idle time, there is no neutral, there is no coasting through life where neither is happening. Either be proactively putting sin to death or it will be, rest assuredly, it will be attempting to put you to death. 
And he's writing to Christians. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. And so Paul calls us to put to death all that is earthly within us. Now, I'm not gonna go through the whole list. Some of these things he's mentioned are pretty self-explanatory, but I do wanna point out the word passion. So he mentioned sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. But here's what I wanna point out. Even though I think these are just examples, it's not the complete list of all that is earthly within us, this idea of passion is very helpful because in our day and time, we tend to think of passion only in a good light, don't we? Don't we encourage each other to follow your passions? Like, be passionate about what you do. Follow your passions. Let your passions guide you through life. And Paul is saying, whoa, 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 tap the brakes. You need to check your passions. Because if you just go with your gut feeling, what feels right, feels good to you, your passions will lead you astray. Not just astray, they'll lead you to death. Don't just trust your passions. Check your passions against God's word. Yes, pursue the passions within you that are leading to righteousness in life, but put to death the passions that are leading you towards death. And he ends this little list here with this phrase, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And I think this is an appropriate time to stop and talk about the wrath of God. Now, there have been times within church history where the wrath of God was the only thing taught, and then there are times in church history like today's time where it's never even spoken about. And part of the reason why we don't talk about the wrath of God or don't like to think about the wrath of God is that we have been convinced that God cannot be both loving and, and, can, and also contain wrath at the same time, that the same being can't be both. And part of the reason that we've bought into that misconception, one, is that we have a very diluted, watered-down definition of love. Like the modern-day understanding of love that gets used in our culture when we talk about just be loving and let's be, everything is love and God is love, is this concept of love that does not contain pain or things that are hard. It's watered-down and diluted. Because real love contains pain. Real love contains heartache. I say this at every funeral that I do. If you're grieving right now and if you're hurting, it's because you loved. So I'm not gonna tell you to quit hurting, right? Because the hurt you feel is a reflection of the love that you have for this person who's passed away. Love contains an element of hurt. If you're a good parent, you know this. If you're a good parent, you pre-commit your children to hard things. Some of those things are painful. Many of those things are uncomfortable but you know it's to their good because you love them, right? You set them in these scenarios and situations. It may be for you as just sending your kid to kindergarten, right? Moms, you're like, it's a big deal. I hope all the kids are nice. I hope the teacher likes them. And what happens if they get made fun of? You know it's gonna be hard because you've been there, but you know it's to their good that they go. And because you love them, you send them into something hard, right? And that's, so real love contains an element of doing hard things. It contains an element of, of pain and hurt. And so one of the reasons why we don't like to connect God with his wrath and his love is because we have this skewed version of love that has no room for pain. But, but another reason I think is that we struggle to understand how the two can actually coexist at the same time. Is it that God is sometimes loving and then other times he turns that off and he becomes wrathful? But wait a second, isn't God always loving? So how can that work? This question uh, leads us to the cross. See, there has never been a time 
in the universe. There's never been a place in the universe, a time in the universe, a time in human history where God's love has been more vividly expressed than the cross. The cross is the ultimate expression of God's love, his unending, undying love. We know that for God so loved the world that he sent his son to the cross. So at the cross, we see this vivid expression of God's love, but then we have to ask the question, why was the cross so painful then? Why was it so bloody and why was it so brutal? Because at the same time that God was loving us through the cross, he was also pouring out his wrath on his son Jesus. You see, at the cross is where God's love and his wrath come together in one place at one time. So we we look to the cross and we see not only God's relentless love for us, but we see his wrath, his response to our sin, his wrath, and he pours it out on his son. And that's why the cross was so brutal and so painful. Jesus was bearing a punishment that we deserved, we had earned, but it was being poured out on Jesus. I think it's a misconception sometimes that the Jews or the Roman soldiers are the ones who killed Jesus, but Hundreds of years before Jesus ever went to the cross, it was predicted that the Messiah would suffer and die for the sins of his people. Listen, it was the Father who sent Jesus to the cross. The Jews and the the Roman soldiers were just the means by which he got him there, but it was the Father who sent Jesus to the cross. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53, the first part of verse 10 says this about Jesus, the suffering servant, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And so again, at the cross, we see God's relentless love for us merging with his wrath towards our sin. And it was the Lord's will to crush Jesus with the weight of our sin at the cross. And so yes, God can be a God who is always loving and at the same time, he can contain wrath towards sin. And so Paul's reminding us of this He's helping to remind us that our sin is not a light thing. Now, one of the things that I do in my life, and maybe you do this too, um, I'll let you determine this, is sometimes I try to make my sin lighter than it is by generalizing it. You know, like by, yeah, yeah, I really struggled this week. I was kind of a jerk to my wife. and But what husband isn't? Or, yeah, there's a struggle with sin in my life, but we all struggle with sin. You see how I'm soft-selling it? On one hand, I'm trying to be honest about my weakness and my struggle with sin, but on the other hand, I'm just trying to lighten it a little bit, right? I'm trying to make it not quite as bad as it really is. And and so I I don't know if you do that or not, but you see that a lot in the church culture today. This generalization of sin. Oh, we all sin. I sin. You, we all sin. But Jesus was not dying for soft cell general sins. He was bearing the weight of my real sins, right? Where I was sinfully, the way I spoke maybe to my wife or the way I gossiped about this thing or this person or my thoughts towards this thing or that thing. And so Paul is reminding us, listen, Christian, (laughs) Jesus bore the wrath of God for your sins. Your sins are no light thing. In Romans chapter 12, we read about God's wrath this way, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
And then the, the counsel to Christians, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, here's something, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Christians, we aren't called to wrath. We're not called to vengeance. Right? That's God's and God's alone. Now, verse 7 Again, Paul's reminding us in humility, in these you too once walked. We need that reminder, don't we? Lest we forget, right, that this is who we were. Right? We all have walked in some way, some fashion. We have walked in things that are earthly. In these things you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. He gives another list here. Anger, wrath, malice, slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So earlier on, verse five, he said, put what is earthly to death, and now he's talking about putting it off, taking it off. It's the idea of like taking off one set of clothes and then putting on a new set of clothes. And he's saying, put sin to death, cast it off, cast it away. So now we have to ask the question, well, how do I do that? Have you ever tried to stop sinning? Yeah, it doesn't work to just try to stop. So you, you have to do something else. So how do we then put sin to death? Well, I wanna just take a second to think about um, what we've learned so far from Colossians. So two weeks ago, um, he told us, Apostle Paul, through this letter to the, to, um, the Colossian church, he said, listen, um, as you were saved, continue to walk. And so what he meant by it was that we were saved by grace through faith, not your own doing. So keep walking that way. Day by day, walk by faith, not your own strength. And last week we came back together and, and he said, okay, now here's my next instruction for you. Set your mind on things that are above. Set your heart on things that are above. So we already have two things we can do uh, that, that are part of the process of putting sin to death. We walk by faith in the gospel. We set our mind and our hearts on things above. And then in Romans chapter 13, I wanna read a couple of verses here because Paul's talking about the same thing to the church in Rome and he adds a really helpful phrase. Here's what he says. Verse 12, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So does that sound familiar? So he's saying, cast off the works of darkness, but put on the armor of light. Like he was saying in Colossians, take off the deeds of the flesh and put on Christ. And then he continues, he says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness and in sexual immorality and sensuality and in quarreling and jealousy. So he's thinking about the same things, isn't he? He's thinking about what is earthly within us. Look at what he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and here it comes, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. He's really getting to the core of things here. See, in Christ, the old me has been put to death. Yet day by day, I'm still called to put the old me to death. I'm called to put the old, uh, the version of me to death on a, on a daily basis. And Paul, he hits the nail on the head when he says, quit making provisions for your flesh. 
The reason why sin is still alive is you keep bringing it back to life by making provisions for it. Whatever your sin struggle is, you keep putting yourself in scenarios and situations, right, where that can happen, right? So if, if for you, your struggle is with what you're looking at on the internet, right, and you walk away and say, I don't ever want to do that again, yet you go back to the internet and you, you, you provide a context where you're on the internet in private without any kind of accountability, guess what's going to happen? You're bringing that sin back to life. You're making provision for that sin to happen. Or maybe your struggle is like gossip and slander and and so you struggle like with social media, just keeping your mouth shut and keeping your words to yourself. And you know, you, you're, maybe that's for you a sin struggle. And so you're like, you know what? I'm just gonna get off of social media. No more Insta for me. I'm gonna walk away and then, right? But then what do we do? A week later, we download the app again and we make provisions for the flesh again. You, you follow me? So what he's saying is, listen, if, if you wanna see sin put to death in your life, quit bringing it back to life by making provisions for it. Right? It's the idea you keep breathing life back into your sin and you wonder, how come I'm still sinning? Why isn't this struggle over? He said, listen, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh because when you do, you will gratify its desires every time. Going back to um, John Owen's book, uh, The Mortification of Sin, uh, he talks about our struggle with sin and how to put sin to death this way. He writes, let faith look on Christ in the gospel as he is set forth, dying and crucified for us. So what he's encouraging us to do is to see Jesus hanging on the cross, dying and crucified for our sins. He says, look on him, under the weight of our sins. So instead of making our sins light, which is what we tend to do, right? As bad as they really are, make them light. He says, no, no, make your sins heavy. See the weight of your sin upon Jesus on the cross. And then he goes on to say, see him there praying, bleeding, dying. Bring him in that condition into thy heart by faith. Apply his blood so shed to thy corruptions. And then look at what he says. Do this daily. Right? So to put sin to death, I daily need to be meditating on, thinking of the cross, seeing Jesus crucified for my sins, my real sins, my weighty sins. Like this daily process of putting sin to death. Why? Because I, I must be killing sin or what? It will be killing me. And it is a daily fight. A little bit later on, he says this in the same book, a sense of the love of Christ in the, in the cross lie at the bottom of all true spiritual mortification. So if you wanna see sin put to death, it'll never happen by your own will. You cannot will sin to death. The only way sin is gonna die in you and in me is when my true affections are on Christ. A sense of the love of Christ and the cross, that lies at the bottom of all true mortification, putting sin to death. So really, if you put this all together, right, walk daily by believing and trusting in the gospel. Fix your mind's attention and your heart's affection on things that are, that are above. And now we combine this with what we're reading. Essentially, Colossians 3, Paul is calling the church into worship. 
When your worship is right, things of this earth will grow strangely dim. They'll begin to fade. They will die. It's when you take your eyes off of Christ and put it on the things of the earth, you make provisions for the flesh, and your sin comes back to life. Right? And you're struggling. And you can't not do the things that you don't want to do. And you can't do the things you know you should do. Why? Because you're giving life to your sin. Put sin to death. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What Paul is calling you to, Christ follower, is to live as you are in Christ and quit living as you used to be. Then another place in the Bible, it talks about how when we return back to our sin, it's like a dog returning to its vomit. I hope that makes your stomach turn. That's why it's in the Bible. It should make something within you turn. Like, oh, that's gross, yeah. That's applied to me when I walk away from sin and then return back to it. I'm going back to who I used to be. I'm not living as I am now in Christ. Quit living as you were and start living as you are. I wanna leave you with um, three reflection questions today. Um, I use these personally in my own devotion with the Lord at times of struggle. Um, I use them in counseling when I'm with somebody who's struggling with sin and they're not quite sure why they keep doing it and how to get away from it. So I'm gonna give you these three questions and maybe they would be helpful to you. One of the questions that I ask myself and I encourage others to ask is this. When you find yourself struggling with sin, ask this question, what desire am I trying to fulfill? Because the Bible just said that in my sin, I'm trying to fulfill some kind of earthly desire. So what is it? What desire am I trying to fulfill? Another way to ask that is what did I really hope to get out of this? Why did I, what did I really hope would happen when I did this? When I looked at this on the internet or I, I, I you know, slandered this person over here? And this is a really helpful question. What was I hoping for? Because what I got was shame and guilt but why did I do it? What desire was I trying to fulfill? The second question is this, what idol am I trying to protect? And this one might sound strange, but a lot of our sinful behavior is an effort to protect idols. Things that are near and dear to us that we don't want people getting close to it. When they do, we get angry. And so we act out in anger, and then later we're like, why did I get so upset? Why was I such a jerk? What idol were you trying to protect? Right, so here's another way to ask that. What would I stand to lose if I told someone about this struggle? What is it that means so much to me that I'm willing to, to sin against you to keep you away from it? What idol am I trying to protect? And then a third question, and you may need some help on this one. You may need some help. What lie have I believed? And this goes all the way back to the garden, doesn't it? The original sin. Why did Eve and Adam, why did they sin? It began by believing a lie, right? Didn't the serpent lie to them? Twisted what was true and, and convinced them of a lie? And Eve saw the fruit and what was desirable to eat. And so she let her desires run loose. She believed the lie. It led her desires astray. And then she acted out on it. And so a question that's so important to ask ourselves is, what lie have I believed? Now, you may need some help on this one because first of all, we don't like to admit that we're gullible and we believe lies, but we do, we do. 
right? So like, and, and, and so like when you're struggling with sin, like nobody like goes to their friends like, hey, I'm really struggling with the way I feel about myself. So you know what I'm, I'm thinking about really just talking trash about this other girl and I think that'll make me feel better, right? Nobody says that, but, but we believe that lie, right? So we, we slander, we talk bad about somebody thinking what? It'll make us feel better about ourselves. Does it work? No, why do we keep doing it? Because we bought into the lie. Or if I pursue these images of, of you know, these lustful thoughts and, and in the end, what did you hope to get out of it? Did, you believed a lie. You bought into some sort of lie and this is where we need a brother or sister in Christ to help us and just ask like, hey, here's my sin struggle. Here's what I keep doing that I know I shouldn't do. Can you help me figure out what lie have I believed in? Because somewhere in this sin is, is a lie that I've bought into that this will make me happy, it will make me comfortable, it will make me better, it'll bring me peace, it'll something. And so what lie have I believed? And so I just encourage you to think about these questions in your own struggle. Maybe even if you've got um, a brother or sister in Christ who you meet with and you talk about spiritual things, sit down and ask these questions of one another. Hey, help me, help me think about my own life. Help me take some spiritual inventory here. Here are the sin struggles I know I have in my life. I'm gonna trust you to be honest, here they are, right? So what desires do you think I'm actually trying to fulfill here? What idols could I be protecting? And where do you see lies in what I'm saying? Like what what lies have I believed in? And this is all part of the process of putting sin to death. So next week we're gonna come back now as we've talked about taking, taking off what is earthly. Next week, we're going to come back and talk about what does it mean to put on Christ, and we'll finish up chapter three. Let's pray together. Um, As we pray together, our prayer partners are coming forward. Our worship team is going to come forward as well. I just encourage you, if there's something that you have going on in your life you want somebody to pray about, to come grab one of our prayer partners. Um, if If there's something that you want our whole prayer team, our elders and our staff praying about, grab the next steps card and just write on there what your prayer request is, You can take this again to a prayer partner. You could drop it in the box. Let's get ready to respond. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the way that you, God, call our hearts and our minds off of things that lead to death and towards things that lead to life. And God, if we're gonna be real honest, every person in this room, Father, there there are lies that we have bought into. There are things that we are pursuing in life right now that we have convinced ourselves that if we just had them, we would be happy. If we just had them, we would be whole. We would be at peace. We would be comfortable. And and God, the reality is that there's nothing in this world that can satisfy us. So God, as we journey through the book of Colossians, I pray, God, you would take our church on a journey. God, each one of us just personally evaluating what is it that has captured our mind's attention and our heart's affection. Where, where do we still have our minds and hearts set on things of the earth? God, where is it that we are constantly bringing sin back to life? God, where are we making provisions for the flesh? Where are we protecting our idols? God, where are we believing lies? Holy Spirit, we pray you would do this work in us. Father, we give this time to you. We ask that you would move now as we respond. In the name of Jesus.